let's go to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah is an Old Testament book, so if you have a Bible, um, start flipping back towards the Old Testament. It's a pretty big book, so you'll run into it eventually. But if you have a digital version of the Bible, that's even better. Just go look up Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 1. Uh, we're going to read through this, and then we're going to flip over to the next uh, verse, which uh, next book, which is chapter 6. Um, I'm sorry, next chapter, which is chapter 6. Verse number 1, Isaiah chapter 5 says this, Let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. Now watch this. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out the stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the midst, and he also made a wine press in it. So he expected to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O oh, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judea, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done to my vineyard that I have not done it? Why then, when I am expected to bring forth good grapes, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, does it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned. I will break its wall, and it shall be trampled upon. I will lay it waste. I shall not be pruned. It shall not be pruned or dug. But there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. Now, this is a completely two sides to something that is just sort of Wow, but really so sort of the two sides of God. Remember a couple of weeks ago, for those of you that watch your regular basis, we talked about the love and the sovereignty of Christ, right? That there's a love of Christ and there's a sovereignty of Christ. You really see this played out here in this verse because you see the love of God, but the sovereignty of God on both occasions with this sort of... Um, uh, uh, scripture here. Because he starts off by saying, hey... I got a vineyard. Now, we know later on that the vineyard is Israel, but I'm going to turn the vineyard back on you. I'm going to say you're the vineyard today. We are the vineyard. So let's let's get out of the Old Testament ideology, typology of Israel. Let's get into the reality. We are the vineyard. The Bible says he is the vine, we're the branch. A branch cannot bear fruit unless it's connected to the vine. So let's get into the fact that we are a part of his vineyard. We're in the vineyard. And he says, first of all, let me tell you this. I put my vineyard on the best hills. I don't put my vineyards where there's no good ground. He said, first of all, let me show you how I break it down. Number one, I put my vineyard on a very fruitful hill, meaning I find the best ground possible, and that's where I put my vineyard. So number one. Number two, I dig it up, and I clear out all the stones, meaning I go to work. Remember we said God loves you like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you like you are. You know what God does? He plants you in the soil of his love, and then he goes to work digging in your life. Not because he hates you, not because he wants to mess you up, because he understands there's stones in you. He wants to get out of you because the more stones he gets out of you, the more fruit your life can produce because the better the soil is in your heart. And so he says, okay, number one, I'm going to go dig it up and get some stuff out. It may not be pretty. There may be times i got to dig real deep in there. Um, and we were just over the other day uh, on on one of we went over and saw uh, brother uh, Debbie and uh, brother Cash's and sister Debbie Owens uh, during this was a couple months ago during COVID the height of COVID we just wanted to stop by our kids wanted to see them um, they love. Didi and Cassius, and so they wanted to go over and see him, and uh, we stopped by, and I went outside, Cassius and, I were, Cassius and I were hanging out outside, talking, practicing social distancing, that's right, Cassius, tell him, we were practicing social distancing, we went outside, and, and, and I saw this, like, massive rock, now, when I say a rock, I'm not talking about something you put in your pocket, I'm talking about, I mean, this thing, I can't even describe it, I don't know if my hands, my hands are too big for the frame, I mean, this thing was... This thing is enormous. I mean, it is literally something you would see somewhere in the mountains. It's sitting in the back of his yard. I said, Cassius, what is up with this stone? Where did you get these stones? He said, oh, they dug it out of the ground when they were building a house. He said, oh, there's another one still in the ground. It's probably bigger. I'm like, are you kidding me? These are not, these stones are huge, massive stones. And I can't imagine what was necessary the equipment necessary, the amount of effort necessary to dig down in that. 
soil to pick up that stone. In fact, it was so big, when they dug it out, they didn't even know what to do with it. They just left it in the backyard. So he's got this kind of cool, rocky feature. Um, sorry, De- Debbie Cassius, I promise. No one go over to their house unless you first call. But if you ever get a chance, you got to see this stone. It's crazy. It's huge. It's massive. I can't imagine the effort went to get this stone out of here. I feel like I've got some of those in my life. I feel like I have some things that are not just like pebbles. I've got some stuff that was, I got some stuff. And some of you, you don't even feel like you have, uh, you don't have a, a, a pebble or a boulder. You got, you know, Gibraltar. You've got this mountain, this granite mountain in your life that God has. Some of it, you know, God can do a one shovel full. Other times he brings in a spiritual backhoe that digs some. And others, I mean, you, you, he's just been digging on for years to get that stone free in your life. But he says, I'm doing all this because I want my vineyard to be the best. And then he says, I took out all the stones. He said, I planted it with the best vines, the choicest vines. I didn't just pick any vine. I didn't go down to Home Depot and get something on the back of the shelf. I got the best I could. And he said, on top of that, I built a tower, a watchtower, in the middle of the vineyard. And the reason why they put watchtower in the middle of the vineyard was because it was manned with usually an armed guard or somebody who could watch and protect the vineyard from people coming in and messing with it. So he said, I'm going to, not only am I going to dig it out to make it look good, I'm going to put the best stuff in back in. I'm going to take out the bad stuff. I'm going to put the best stuff in it. And then on top of that, I'm going to put a tower that's going to protect anybody from coming to mess with it. And oh, by the way, I'm going to put a wine press right there in the midst of all this so we don't even have to transport the grapes very far. We're just going to create this whole wine-producing factory right here. It's all done. And when it's done, I expect it to bring forth good fruit. But then all of a sudden, there's a change. He says, but it didn't bring forth good good grapes. It brought forth wild grapes. Not sweet grapes, but sour grapes. And then he completely changes. And he says this sort of just, it's one of those scriptures when you read it, for me, I don't know how you are, but when I read it, it's one of those scriptures that just go, it just hits you like a, I mean, just punches you. It takes a minute to get your breath when you read the scripture. He says, what more could have been done to my vineyard than I have not done, have not done in it? And can I ask you this question? Do you have problems? Yes. Do you have difficulties? Yes. Are there things in your life that you are going through? Yes. But can I ask you to look at that verse with me today and ask that question? Is there really more God needs to do to you to prove to you who he is? Is there more that God needs to do to prove that he has his best, your best interest at heart? That he is not here to punish you, but he's here to promote you. He's not here to bring you down, but he's here to exalt you. He's here to heal you. Is there more that needs to be done for God to prove it? What more can God do? But I've got problems. Yes, you know what? You do have problems, but everybody has problems. But you don't know what I'm going through. You know what? I hate to say it. Go read the Bible. There were plenty of people that could go toe-to-toe with you over issues that they went through. And God's kind of frustrated with Israel because he's saying, I've given you everything I know to give you. Have you been through difficulty? Yes. Has it always been easy? Yes. Has there been enemies around? Yes. Have Has things happened to you? Yes. I get all that, but what more could I have done to be able to produce in you a beautiful and sweet-tasting fine fruit? And yet all I get is wild grapes, and all of a sudden he completely changes. And he says, all this stuff I've done, I'm going to take away. I'm going to remove it all. I'm going to take the fence down. People are going to be able to run, trample on you. I'm going to take away the hedge. It's going to be burned. I'm going to let it wait to waste. And in fact, on top of that, I'm going to let briars and thorns grow up in your field and then I'm going to tell the rain don't even bother don't even bother now there are some deep 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 spiritual meanings in those verses there I'm going to resist going down that far that's probably for another audience another time but those verses uh, really in some ways verses 4 through verse 6 have some great spiritual depth to them. But let's flip over again to Isaiah chapter 6 because this is sort of a continuation of something. 
I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's very short. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, and two he covered with his face, and two he covered his feet. And with two he flew, and one cried, another saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of the glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar and touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Now here we go. And also heard the voices saying, Whom shall I send? And whom? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go tell his people. Now here's the... So we just had this picture play out of this great issue. The vineyard was a good vineyard, didn't work out, and God said, I'm done with this. And he brings, he calls Isaiah. And this is the message he gives Isaiah upon his calling in verse number nine. He says, go and tell this people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. That was the first words that God gives Isaiah to tell the people in his prophetic ministry to Israel. He tells Isaiah, tell them to keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Now switch over, if we can, to Matthew chapter 7, because Jesus kind of comes back and brings this message of Isaiah to the modern listener in uh, Matthew chapter 7. He says this, Verse 24, therefore, whoever hears these sayings, there's that word again, get that word, hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will like him to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rains descend and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who has ears, who, who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now before we get to the next chapter, let me make a statement. We are in a world right now that is craving real. Our world is so tired of fake we're tired of Photoshop. We're tired of fake news. We're tired of the sensationalized. Even though in some ways there's a part of us that continues to crave it, there's another side of it that just looks for something real. I have in some ways enjoyed uh, the COVID life from one standpoint that it has stripped away a lot of our um, filters I could put it that way. I, I honestly, sincerely, I enjoy actually going and watching some of these television programs where usually everything is so pristine, perfect, and everything is so absolutely on point. And now watching people sit in their living room um, with their house in the background. Um, and uh, I remember I saw an interview with a very powerful um, person in New York City. They were interviewing them, and it was hilarious because in the background was their couch, and all the pillows in their couch were just completely destroyed. I don't know if they had kids. I'm not sure, but they didn't even like turn around and notice that, I mean, the pillows were completely in a mess. No one even bothered to set them up. And I, I don't say that to, you know, I'm not saying that is 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 wrong with that. In fact, that's how most of us live. But the reality of it is you usually don't get that image, right? You get the image of everything being perfect. You get the image of everything being right, everything being in place. But I love the fact that COVID has sort of stripped that away, right? We've seen some real stuff. You've seen people not in their pristine environment. A lot of you had to learn how to operate on Zoom. Uh, maybe for your job, for your life group, you've learned to operate on Zoom. 
and it's not always the the most flattering of pictures, right? Uh, it's not always the best um, view of yourself. And uh, sometimes I even look on this screen here and go, is that really what I look like? Man, oh man, that's a, uh, wow, that's because you're seeing yourself. I mean, it's like, uh, it's, it's just, it's the reality of where we are. But I love it because our world's craving real. They want real. They want real. They want stripped down to the core real. That's what is really mattering in this world right now. We don't need fake we don't need empty words. We don't need we don't need hollow promises. I'm not even going to get down that road. I'm not even going down that road, even though it's tempting. There are just too many empty words, too many hollow promises, too many people vowing to bring change and nobody delivering on their message because ultimately it's a flawed premise. Because ultimately it's all about image. Everything is done to produce the right view, to get the right click, to get the thumbs up. It's all an orchestrated tapestry woven to produce the outcome of popularity, of viewership, of clicks, or votes, or whatever it might be. The reality of it is, is that if we're going to reach or we're going to be the light of Jesus Christ in this world, We've got to be real. The Bible says that you don't take an, a lamp and place it under a covering. You don't hide a lamp. You let a lamp shine. You let it shine bright. You don't hide that light through with different things. And unfortunately, the church world today has become a has become allured by trying to mimic what we see the world doing. And so we become more adept at presenting a better look and doing certain things to present a better picture or a higher image. And, and um, um, I got to be honest with you, I'm being very transparent with you today. This has been very humbling. This experience for me has been very humbling because uh I don't know how you feel about it sitting there watching today, but I'm kind of tired of sitting here looking at these two trees and this shelf behind me for six months. And, um, and I, you know, it's kind of like this thought inside my, in my head. It's kind of like, I mean, this is, we did add Jesus. Thank the Lord. Although half the time my head blocks the yes. So it's just Jesus, Jesus. Uh, we don't even get J we don't even get Jesus. We just get Jesus. Um, but uh, this has been humbling because we're so we're so used to the image of things, but the world needs real. The world needs Jesus, because Jesus was truly real. He wasn't. He was stripped down. He didn't come as a king. He came as a babe swapped in, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He didn't come as a savior. He came as a servant. You see, that's the problem. The world's not looking for. The, the the soldier or what maybe they're looking for it they're not looking for the for the for the uh, they don't need the messiah on a on a horse with an army maybe they're looking for it but that's not what they need they need jesus they need the servant they need the one that did not think it be wrong that he would humble himself and take on the image of a man robe himself in flesh and humble himself even to the death of the cross our world doesn't need more image. They need more humility. Our world doesn't need more pride. They need more God. And who is that? That's you and me, right? That's you and me. So where is the disconnect here? What is part of the disconnect in all of this? We begin to read a little bit that the desire, James said in his letter, his epistle, James says, you know, you say, show me your, my, you know, I have I have fruit, but I have nothing to show. He said, I'll sh uh, I have faith, but no, no works. He said, I'll show you my, my faith by my works. Ultimately, actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. And the problem is, as Gandhi addressed in the very beginning of this, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Because can I be honest with you? I have been around and noticed Christians are more about the talk than they are about the walk. 
And a lot of you know exactly what I'm saying. We got the verbiage down. We know what to say, when to say it, how to say it. We can make anyone believe we really are and truly believe what we say, but we don't live it out because in the end, it's the fruit that remains because Jesus, uh, God said in Isaiah that it's my desire that they, that they bear good fruit, but yet I get wild grapes. But then here we go. Luke chapter 8, it's a very familiar passage of scripture to a lot of us, but I'm going to read it again. Luke chapter 8, verse number 4, it's the parable of the sower. It said, when a great multitude had gathered together, they came to him to every city and spoke for a parable. He said this, a sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed, and some fell on the wayside, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, as it soon as it sprang up, withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell on thorns, and thorns sprang up, and it was choked, and it choked it. But others fell on the ground, sprung up, yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had heard these things, he cried out, Who has ears to hear? Let him hear. Now he goes right back to the hearing thing. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Then the disciples said, Hey, wait a minute. What does this parable mean? And verse 10 he says, He said to you, It has been given to you the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest is given in parables. That seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. He's saying, I'm trying to tell you these things so you understand and hear what I'm saying. Because those who don't understand it, it's just stories to them. It's just going to be a story. It's just going to be a story about a farmer. That's all they're going to know. But for you who want to go deeper, for you that want to find out and work and let me work in your life, there's greater things here beyond just what you can hear. And he says in verse 11, he gives us the answer. Now this parable is, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word of their hearts, unless they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And those have no root, who believe for a while in a time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those when they heard it go out and are choked with cares, riches, pleasures, life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fall that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a, with a noble and good heart keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now let's put all this together here for the next few minutes here. And let's see where the thread takes us. Because Isaiah says it's God's desire. He is the master. He is the, he is the, the vine dresser. He's the keeper of the vineyard. He desires that his vineyard produces good fruit. In fact, he's going to do everything he can. Every single thing he can is going to be to produce the fruit in your life. He's going to make sure you have the right soil. He's going to try to get the stones out of your life. He's going to put a watchtower there. He's going to put a wine press. All these things are built and designed for your good. All things work together for good. Not your good, but his good. And his good is that you would bear fruit in your life. The fruit of the Spirit, the attributes of Christ, the image of Christ would be born in your life this is the desire but yet he said in isaiah 5 the problem is it's not bearing fruit they're wild to hear so here's the consequences of that when you when the fruit is not being when the fruit is when the wrong fruit's being produced and then he comes to isaiah in chapter 6 he calls isaiah out in this vision and isaiah says okay what do you want me to say and he says aha here's where we're going to start we're going to talk about the hearing because they hear, but they don't understand. And then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, on the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he begins the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, verses chapter 6 and chapter 7. He gives all these words, all this wisdom, this, this, what, the, the, the greatest uh, teaching that was ever recorded in its entirety uh, by, uh, by, in the Bible is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's this long discourse. And at the end of that, he says, okay, all this stuff I said really boils down to this. For those of you that hear my words but do it, you're going to be like a guy who built his house on the rock. When the rains and the wind come, you're going to stand. But those of you that hear the words and do not do it, you may nod your head in agreement. You may say yes. You may say amen. You might go, that's great. But you don't follow up and do it. You're going to be out like the guy who built his house on sand. And when it's all said and done, the wind and the rain's going to come and the house is going to fall and great will be its fall. So Jesus gives us this, this, this side-by-side -side comparative, a wise man and a foolish man. And the only difference he gave in the wise and the foolish was not how they built their house because eventually... The, the the rock house and the sand house were metaphoric. 
The real issue was how they heard and what they did after they heard. Did you hear what I said and what would you do about it? That's the difference between the wise and the foolish. And then he comes back in Luke chapter 8 and he says, okay, Luke chapter 8, let me break it down further. There's four types of ground. Now, I've heard people use this for many, many different messages. I've heard people focus on the sower. I've heard people focus on the seed. I focus, I've heard people focus on the broadcasting of the seed, the spreading of the seed. Now, what's interesting about this, that when he was telling the story, I'm sure there probably was a laugh or a snicker in the crowd because Jesus was telling a story about sowing a seed that for those that were farmers probably went, okay, this guy is, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Because he talked about he throwing seed randomly on the ground. Now, you seem like that would be sort of normal, right? Because they didn't have any kind of spreaders like we could go right now to Home Depot or Lowe's and buy. They basically had a big bag of grain. They dipped their hand in there and they would cast the grain out. And they would cast the seed out on the ground and that seed would bear fruit. And so obviously you would think that in some ways uh, that seed would spill out in some other areas. But it seems like when Jesus is talking about this parable, he is specifically He's not being distinctive on where the seed is sown. He is sowing to all fields. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to you and I today, but to back then, that was a huge deal because seed wasn't cheap. It worked hard. You worked hard to get that seed. It wasn't free. You either had to go pay for it or you had to grow it. So it wasn't like you could afford to just, just to, uh, to waste it. It'd be very much like my yard today. I go outside my house today and I start sowing on the um, my sowing grass seed, trying to get seed. I didn't have a spreader, so I just started dipping it in. How foolish would it look to you if I was I took that same bag of seed and I threw it over my driveway? I threw it on my sidewalk. I went out in my street and I threw it. You'd go, hey, um, excuse me, uh, what are you doing? Well, I'm sowing seed, but yeah, but you realize. That that seed is on concrete or asphalt and it has no chance of growing. That's literally what they were kind of looking at Jesus like that day going, um, dude, do you realize that the wayside ground, everybody knows that ground is hard and no seed's going to grow on that ground? Why would you throw that seed on that ground? But they didn't understand that Jesus was trying to make a bigger point because Jesus is basically saying, I don't discriminate. My word, my seed goes to anybody. It doesn't just go to the good people or the people with a good heart, like we would say, because the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. It doesn't just go to the select few. It goes to anybody, anybody. That's why the Bible says all has sin. It's open to everybody. This is not an exclusive doctrine. This is not an exclusive gospel. The word of God is not exclusive. It's inclusive. It's for everybody. But Jesus is telling this, even though the seed is for everybody, not everybody's going to respond the same way. Now, I've also heard that people use these as a percentage, that only one in four people that you talk to are going to be good ground. There's no percentage here, folks. For those of you that have used that, show me the percentage. Well, there's four types. There's four types of ground, but he's not saying 25, 25, 25, and 25. If that's the case, you're a terrible farmer. Let's just call it what it was. If you've got 25% wayside ground, you're a terrible farmer, and you're going to go out of business and get bankrupt because you have a field that's 25% unusable. And then your other 50% is stuff that you didn't have the time to go clean out the rocks or make sure the thorns weren't um, taken care of. And you only really had time for 25% of good ground. There's not percentages here. He's not talking about percentages. So let's get out of that. Well, only one in four people you talk to are going to be receptive to the word of God. Baloney. Because I tell you right now, sometimes it's about 9 out of 10 people you talk to that are not receptive. And then in some days, 10 out of 10 are receptive. So it's not about the percentages. It's about the condition of the soil. So for those of you that interpret this and say, well, you know, it's about percentages. It's not about percentages. We made it percentages. We figured, well, four, that's, I mean, four, so four parts, that's 25%. So uh, that means 25, only 25%. 
That's not what, it, it does not, and he didn't say that. He said, he didn't say, oh, by the way, only one out of four of the seed you sow will have good ground. Baloney. Because ultimately, he wasn't really talking as much about the ground out there. He was trying to get to them to talk about the ground that was in here. And we've made this scripture about the ground out there. But he was first saying, yeah, before you go too far, let me remind you this. Because he said this, hey. They were given in parables because they're not hearing. They heard stories, but I'm trying to tell you something deeper than stories. So what's the condition of your soil? And that's what I want to ask you today, because ultimately, one of the biggest problems we have today and why Christians are so unlike their Christ is because of the condition of the soil and the soil being our heart. And Jesus described four conditions here. One being the wayside, the hardened, the unbelieving, the hardened, the callous ground. I don't want to get into too much into the cultural aspects of this, so I'm going to leave that on. There's some really cool stuff there, but I don't have time today. But let's just say it was the worn down path. It was the path of that was most traveled. And so the ground became very hard. It was almost it was like stone. Um, you couldn't dig it. You couldn't toil it. Uh, you couldn't. You couldn't uh, plow it. It was like almost equivalent to concrete. Many of you have been around. You've seen ground that has become baked and withered by the heat and the lack of moisture. And if it's walked upon, that can become absolutely stone. Nothing can grow there because it's hard. And he says, those of you that are like that, ultimately, when the seed falls. On your ground, the birds, and he likened the bird to the devil, the devil to the bird. He says, when the devil comes along, he's just going to steal it. It won't even, it won't even have time to even take chance. You know what? We found that if you go out and you can see stone, you can see asphalt, you can see other places of hard that's that a weed or something has found its way through, or or maybe something has grown through a crack in a rock. But that took an immense amount of time. And the right circumstance to produce. Because most of the time, in the hardness, seed has no chance. Notice, there was never an issue with the seed in any of these. He said the seed is the word of God. Never one time did he address the seed. Never one time he said, you know what, let's make better seed. Let's go back to the a lab and, 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 um, and genetically... Um, um, produce a seed that's able to wiggle its way even into the hardest situations. That's the problem today is, is that because of the hardness of the soil that now people want to genetically mess with the seed. I'm sorry, folks. The seed has worked for 2,000 years. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The problem is the soil. And what's the soil in your heart? He said, that's the one part. It's the hard heart. It's the hard hearted. It's the ones that when you speak, they don't even hear what you're saying. The heart is hard. It's like a, a man I heard tell a testimony. His grandmother was not a believer. She was getting older at the time. And his desperate plea, he was a pastor. And um, he, he, um, he, sp- he spoke a sermon on the topic of Noah. And in this topic of Noah, he, he talked about Noah and the flood and what that meant and the love of God created this ark and all this. And, and in this, and in this, he mentioned a very small, small space in there about the time where before the flood, people were living hundreds of years. And that's all he said, moved on. And so he thought, well, you know, this might be something that finally will penetrate my grandmother's heart. So he, he, he sent her a copy of this sermon and um she sent a very she sent a she sent back a reply she said uh, uh she said I, thank you for sharing that with me she said you've become a very good speaker um i can tell you've really become uh really good at speaking um and thank you for sharing uh but i don't agree uh, about the people living hundreds of years and he makes the statement, he said, of all the things that I said that day, the only thing my grandmother heard was the thing about people living 100 years. He said, I knew that day that my grandmother's heart had become very hard. It's amazing to me. I've been doing this now for, I've been a a preacher now, a minister for almost 22 years. 
in 22 years of speaking and preaching and ministering, it's amazing to me how you can speak words and someone takes small little tiny snippet and that's all they hear. They didn't hear anything else. I'm, I'm probably going to be on here probably in the, a, a full hour and 15 minutes or so. And of this, someone will only hear one little snippet and make a whole entire determination off that because of the soil of the heart. He said the second one, here's the problem with the second one. The second one has the issue of this. He said the second one, um, it's got a sin problem. It's got a, it's got a, it's got a, problem because you know why here's the problem the soil finds its way in the seed finds its way in and it has a burst of enthusiasm it springs forward life comes quickly yes great i got it but any kind of problem any kind of struggle any kind of wavering the fruit goes away there's so many uh, that Every Sunday or whatever situation you're in, you hear the word of God and you're like, yes, that's it. I got it. I want to do that. But yet you find by Tuesday or Wednesday that you're right back into the same situation you're in. That farther away you get from the teaching, farther away you get from the ministry of the word of God, the farther away you get from the fruit of your life. And you go, well, maybe the problem is this, the problem is that. No, unfortunately, my friend, the problem is the soil of your heart. It's not a God problem. It's a you problem. It's not a mind problem. It's a heart problem. Your soil, you're not hearing. You're hearing, but you're not hearing. You're seeing, but you're not seeing. You're hearing stories, but you're not seeing and hearing the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Because you have things in your heart, you have rocks in your heart that you're not letting the vine dresser dig out. And so... We, I found, no offense, I found in COVID. There were a lot of people that were in that category. People that confessed, they loved God, confessed that God was great. But the moment you take away any kind of mechanism that they're used to, all of a sudden all their, their, their lack of spiritual depth was exposed. And now they've completely lost their bearings because there's no spiritual depth. But of all the soil, we understand that the fourth soil was the good soil, the one that produced the fruit. But of all the soil, this is the, the third one is the one I want to finish on because it's the one to me that is probably the most damning but the most common. Because as much as the second soil struggled with maybe sin or temptation or whatever it might be. The third soil is not doing anything sinful. In fact, they're just enjoying life. The third soil is just enjoying life. And you know what? Life is enjoyable. God's given us so many wonderful blessings to enjoy in life. I mean, there's Great food to eat, great sights to see, wonderful places to go, things to do. We live in an amazing world and an amazing time. And if we desire to, we can go outside, we can be enjoyable, we can spend our days pursuing all kinds of recreational things. We can go hiking, biking, hiking, biking, hunting, fishing, swimming, skiing, shopping, movie watching. Uh, I mean, you're not reading, relaxing, sleeping, internet browsing, Playing games, going on vacation. Uh, man, I don't even know. You could just do many things. I can't even list them all. Just think about all the things we can do. I mean, you know, from just... And none of them you can say are sin. None of them you can say are wrong. You can't point to one of them and say they're wrong. But the problem is all of these things fight for our time. And ultimately, because they're not sinful... And a lot of these things, God has placed, God has made them, God has produced them to be joyful. I mean, for those of you that like to go out and hike in nature, I mean, you're exploring and being able to take in the things that God has created. But here's the problem. When any of these things take over our lives and take the place of God in our lives, these become the thorns that choke out the word. And ultimately stunt the growth 
of what God has done and what God is doing in our life. This third soil is the most damning. And here's what I wrote down. I'm going to finish by reading this. There are some Christians who act like Christians, talk like Christians, and even behave like Christians. They don't have any serious, evident pattern of sin in their lives. But these true and genuine Christians are so busy with life that they have very little time for the things of God. They're always on some vacation, always have some project going on at home. They rarely make it to church, but if they do, they only come on Sunday mornings for the Sunday morning time, but they don't have time for any personal Bible study, personal prayer, personal growth. They want to, but their lives are just too busy. So what happens? Jesus says they bring forth no fruit to maturity. That's what the Bible just we just read in Luke chapter 8. He said they bring no fruit to maturity. They grow, but their growth is stunted. They may even produce fruit, but nothing edible. Just small, sour, bitter, undeveloped, worthless fruit. This ultimately is the, this, this of all three soils, this one stings because it's, it's got the most death. If I was to take a poll, I would probably guess the majority of modern American Christians fall into this third soil. Ultimately, if a person is a Christian and they're not even attending church, they're the second soil. But most church-going Christians fall into the third soil. We go to church because we know we should. We read the Bible when we can. But for the most part, our lives are consumed with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. We spend our money on ourselves We use our time in pursuit of happiness. We spend more time in front of the television or computer or at the lake or on our phone or reading a magazine or reading a book than we do in the Word. An hour and a half of church on Sunday morning is more than enough for us. These things we spend our time on are not sinful. So we feel that they're not harming us, but in reality they're choking the growth, stunning our development. Recreation and entertainment, rest and relaxation become the thorns of our life. A little is okay, but without the balance of God in our life, they become the thorns that grow up with the fruit of our life and choke out. They're not wrong. I can't sit here and tell you anything you're doing is wrong. That's the problem. Everybody always says, well, you know, Tell me what's wrong. Nothing I'm doing wrong. You're right. You may not be doing anything that's absolutely black and white wrong. But you have made it wrong because you have made it bigger than God. Is there anything wrong with vacation? No. Is there anything wrong with movies? No. Is there anything wrong with, with, with reading a book? Or is there anything wrong with going online? Is there anything wrong with inherently wrong? Get it. Inherently. I know that there's always dark areas you shouldn't be watching some stuff, reading some stuff. I get it, so take it within context. But is there anything inherently wrong with any of that? Is there anything inherently wrong with a lot of things we do? No, and that's the problem. Because it's not wrong, we assume that it's okay, and we do it in abundance without even stopping and thinking, are these thorns in my life? We're so attracted by the posts on Facebook or Internet of what people are doing, and we want to be a part of that, and so we go out and do it, and not realizing that those things become the thorns in our life that choke out God in our life. I have one, and I finish with this. I've got one. We have one for various reasons. But I'm just amazed. doesn't matter where I go in this country, even in this area. It feels like they are absolutely building storage units faster than they can just, I mean, if they can buy the land, storage units, storage units, storage units, storage units. They're building another one uh, back where we used to live. They're building one here near near our house. Storage units, why? Because we, as Americans, don't have enough place for all of our stuff. Is there something wrong with owning stuff? No. But what does it say to us when we have so much we don't know what to do with it? Is it really possible the fact that maybe we're trying to fill a hole with the wrong things and so we buy not to use, but we buy in order to fill an empty place in our hearts? 
Now, I'm not saying if you have a storage unit, that's the problem because we have a storage unit. That's, I mean, I don't believe that's the problem. We have, we have a very legitimate reason why we had it. We're attempting to get rid of it, but we had one. I can't tell you that every storage unit has that. There's a lot of storage units out there that by the thousands that people just have too much stuff. Why? Because they're trying to fill a hole. I read this quote. It said, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. <laughs> We're so adept to not, you know, if the devil showed up at your door today in his little red suit, which he doesn't have, his little horns, which doesn't have and his red pitchfork with his tail wagon and his mouth foaming with fangs and good I've come to destroy you you would go get him out shut the door that's it bad no go away we would recognize it but he's not that stupid he doesn't come to you with poison he comes to you with apple pie he doesn't he's not going to come beating your door with his his imps his demonic his demonic minions running around destroying your life with his with their little tails wagging and their fangs poked out trying to strip you away. No, what he's going to do, he's going to let you just take the things that God intended to be things that you can enjoy and let you just slowly drift off and be consumed. Nothing wrong with owning a house. Nothing wrong with going on vacation. Nothing wrong with having a job. Nothing wrong with any of these things. But let's be honest. If we're really, truly, truly honest with ourselves, there's a lot of us that would say, you know what? I got a lot of stuff choking out my life. Choking out God's growth. Do you know why I believe today the world, we're having, is, we're having so little effect on our world and why we don't see the New Testament what happened in the New Testament happening today is because we have too many thorns in our field. We have too many people with thorns. You hear the word of God. You, you, you listen to it. You go, yes, I got it. And you go home and you try to apply it. You do everything you, in your, you want it part. And you let it grow. And it grows. But the problem is other stuff grows with it. And so it never grows to full maturity. It only grows partially. And you get this sort of small sour, bitter, just undeveloped and eventually worthless fruit. And so the world doesn't want that. Nobody wants to see that go, that's what I want. I'm craving for that kind of understanding relationship with Jesus Christ. They look and go, what's the big deal? What, what is the, you go to church every Sunday, but yet I don't see any change in you. You do all this, why? Because we have too many thorns in our life. I know it's Labor Day weekend. I get it. I get it. I get it. Trust me. There's a whole side of me that's screaming, hey, dude, it's Labor Day. Give people a break. I get it. Jesus understands our frame, but we are dust. I get it. I don't argue with any of that. But the bottom line is this. If we would truly look at ourselves, one thing COVID has done, it's stripped away a lot of stuff we thought we was important to us. We all survived, folks. We survived without a lot of things we thought we needed. Hate to break it to you. We survived, guys, without sports. Our world didn't come to an end because there was no live sports on television. Do I like sports? Yeah. Am I excited to see football back next Sunday? Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, i got to be honest with you, football coming back means a lot of you are going to have other priorities other than what God is doing in your life. There's a lot of movies that stopped being in production because they couldn't produce, they couldn't shoot, you couldn't film them anymore because of code restrictions. And so there's not a lot of movies going on. You know what, folks? We're okay. There's 10 million movies you can go back and watch again. The fact I'm saying to this is that we all need to look and say, what's the condition of my soil? Because I want to be a fruit bearer and not one of those ones that just because I say it, I want it to be visible. I want my fruit to show not me, but him through me. I want to be different. I want people to see the difference in me. And I'm not talking about some of you will know what I'm saying. I'm not talking about the way you dress. Because ultimately, 
If that's how, if that's what you want to do to make an impact on this world, then you are way behind and you're deceived. If you think that's what's going to make an impact on this world, you literally need to go read the Bible because it's not in there. Sorry to say that. It's truth. I know some of you went, <gasps> you can't say that. I said it because it's true. That's what you think is going to be the case? Do you think we're going to get a, 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 a better building, better lights, better sound, better equipment, better this, better that's going to draw people? No. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them in. What lifts, what draws people? It's him. How do I get him? I got to get him, more of him and me, and less thorns in my life. What's the condition of your soil? I can speak, we can talk, we can preach, we can minister, we can teach. None of that matters if the soil that's being that the seed is being planted on is not able to receive. Can you hear? Or do you hear with these, but you don't hear with this? Do you see with this, but you don't see in here? I read a statement the other day, and because of our visual society, and I'm trying to finish, I'm almost done. Because of our visual society that we see with our eyes, but God designed us to see through our eyes. Our eyes are supposed to be the windows of our soul. We're supposed to see with our eyes, through, through our eyes, but our world has taught us to see with our eyes. So our world says, show it to me and I'll believe it. God says, believe it and I'll show it. Some of you say, okay, God, you show me and I'll believe it. And God said, no, 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 you believe it. I'll show it. All that comes down to what's the condition of the soul of your heart. The word of God speaks, but do you receive? And if you don't receive, it's not the word. That's the problem. It's not because, well, the preacher should have done this or the preacher should have used that or the preacher should have studied more. Or the preacher should have done this and that. Ultimately, it becomes down to what is the condition of my heart? I challenge you today, in Jesus' name, would you take some time today and just be honest with the condition of your heart and say, God, what I need to do, a soil check. You can go right now to Home Depot and buy a soil testing kit that tells you how to test the soil in your yard to determine what nutrients that are needed. I'm asking every one of you today if you would take time and do a soil test on your heart. Say, God, here I am. Check the soil of my heart. Father, I thank you today. I've done my best, as always, to just say what you have me to say, add to, and take away nothing. Just simply speak what you've given me to speak. And Lord, I pray today that the words that are spoken here today would have life, not because I've spoken it, but because you have spoken it through me. But Lord, ultimately, I pray that you would give us the grace today to, to shine your light on our heart, to do a soil test on our heart, that you could show us the condition of our soil. Give me the grace today to be honest with myself. Let me receive your grace today that I can be honest with myself. Are there thorns in me, God, that I have allowed to grow? And whatever those thorns are, would you reveal them to me today? Because even though it may be painful and pulling them up, they need to go because I want to be a fruit bearer more than anything. In Jesus' name. I speak your word today. I speak your conviction power upon our hearts today. I loose the power and the conviction of the Holy Ghost to fall on our hearts today. In Jesus' name, Lord, reveal to us the thorns. Reveal to us the stones. Reveal to us the hardness of our hearts that we can see and understand and know what you're saying, that we can receive you, your word in our heart, the seed of your word in your heart, that you can bring forth fruit in us. In Jesus' name, would you just... Take time today to be honest with God and maybe yourself and say, God, I've got some thorns in me and I'm asking you, Lord, if you would, that you would take them because I want to have a heart that's able to receive it.